Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. Welcome to this 50th golden episode golden. of the Go to Hell podcast. I'm your host, Colton. I'm your host, Colton Pierce, and I'm joined by my co host, Tim Gurley. <laughs> Tim, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Colton. <laughs> Uh, love this opposite day that we're putting on over here. Uh, Colton, how are you doing? I do good. Uh, um, doing just fine. Um, today was an, it's Thursday that we're recording this week. Um, week's almost over and it's been tough, man. Um, I just get out of bed at like whatever time I want in the morning and just suffer through my Day you have no purpose. Reading books, playing video games, and occasional chores. But, you know, as long as I got my uh, dinner cooked by the time my wife gets home, then everything's okay. So, it's, it's a tough life I'm living right now. How are you, Tim? <laughs> I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, gearing up for the hot weekend we're going to have. It's going to be in the mid 110s so man what a time to be smoking inside yeah we're supposed to be doing cigar club on saturday inside uh i'll be smoking 100 cigars in in two hours <laughs> <laughs> or at least smelling like them when you yes, leave for sure, you gotta for take sure. a shower for a straight week when you come back after the cigar club that's oh, i'll just jump right in the pool <laughs> i think i'm just gonna go in the t-shirt and my swim trunks and just walk <laughs> just walk right out and dive into the pool yeah, I skip the shower. Cool. You have to do that with every article that you wore into the shop. Sunglasses, watch. That's true. If you want to get rid of that, because you will still smell that odor for days after that. For days. And that is the voice of super fan, super listener Andy. He's joining us for this 50th episode. How are you doing, Andy? Uh, I'm doing outstanding. A weight has been lifted. I finally, after a year, submitted my demonstration of mastery for my master's degree. So Nice. It That's feels awesome. so good to have my life back and not have something hanging over my head that I should be doing instead of whatever it is I'm doing to avoid doing that. So it's nice having that done. Submitted. It was accepted. I passed. So now I just have to get the paper in the mail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Congratulations, Thank you. Dude. Yeah. He gets to move over all the way over on the pay scale now. <laughs> yeah, jump in those colums. That's Winning, what we that's do. right. Jump in those columns. Well, we get to open up a bottle of Lagavulin 15 too, don't we? Yes, the the 16. We oh, are gonna, 16. We're going to open up that uh, that bottle. I bought it because I submitted everything, and I said I'm not going to drink any of it until I get word that I pass it. And I got word that I passed it, so that we're going to crack that doubt. thing open. Yeah, you paid all that money. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, my friend did that. He, we, we started programs at a similar time, but he had uh, his administrative credential attached to his master's. So when he, when he finished, 
he submitted it and he said they can't possibly read through every bit of the stuff that you submit. I said, why do you say that? Mine was 90 pages and it was graded in 24 hours. Right. You're like, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I poured my heart. I did. I was like going back and reviewing because there were seven sections of it. The first one was kind of an introductory and you're not explaining your experience and whatnot. And then the rest of the, the remaining six sections were basically one for each class that you took. Yeah. And I was going back through the classes because I mean, now it's been over a year since I finished the, the coursework. And just you're going back and like, okay, what, what did I say about this? And But you mostly had already done the work. Yeah. You're just attaching your, you know, whatever your signature assignment was for the class. And then they ask you to expand on, a, you know, a few other things. Um, it's like a two, three page essay for each section. So, yeah, I did most of the work. You're just going through and figuring out, okay, which artifact do I want to attach in addition to, you know, the... Uh, the signature assignment. So it was good. I'm just glad it's all done. Yeah. I wonder what the failure rate is for those. It reminds you know, me when I, I, back in the day when recruiting services were really big, they still are, but um, guy I coach football with, I said, he said something about them being bogus and I didn't, I wasn't doubting it, but I said, well, what's your reasoning? And he said, because they're all subscriber-based. Do you think the Texas fan base wants to be told they got a bad recruiting class? And I said, oh, yeah, that's true. So he goes, of course they've always got a top recruiting class. Ohio State's always got a top recruiting class because you're not paying uh, $50 a year to be told your team sucks. So Yeah. And I think with a program like that one, um, the one that I went through, and then my friend also, they're through the same – uh, university online if you if you last and you complete all of those courses that they have in it and you because you basically are earning an a or you know i guess you could get a b or whatever but i didn't see any of those but if you go through and you stick it out then yeah you should have most of that work done and easily be able to submit your demonstration of mastery and, and, and get it all done it's just making yourself sit down and do it after you finish that last class and you don't feel like doing that anymore, you get your life back. It's like, no, oh, just tough it out for a couple more weeks and get that demonstration of mastery done and submitted. Because uh, I'll tell you what, if, because, you know, obviously, we, and Colton touched on that, you, you get paid more if you do have a master's degree. That's true. And I would say any teacher that goes through a program like that and actually puts that stuff into practice, you will be a better teacher. Now, does every teacher do that? No. But if you did and you put the stuff that you learned in this program in practice, you would be a better teacher. I am a better teacher for, for going through that program and being exposed to the information that I was exposed to. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. And I would say probably in the services defense, it's it's a much more selective crowd choosing to do professional um, master's degree programs than it is your average kid who's coming out of high school who's being told they got to go to school and, have, and has no idea what they want to study. So the failure rate's much higher, or True. and they're not prepared. True. Whereas you're forking over money, maybe your employer's forking over money, but you're making the decision, like you said, to take time out of your family life and all that kind of stuff for a certain amount of time. So you're gonna buckle down at some point, at least you know, get the work done and get through the class. So get your oh, one hundred percent. I can't tell you how many weeknights and weekends I spent. Um, 
sitting there with my uh, headphones on with rain sounds and ocean sounds playing so I'm not hearing all the fun that the family's having upstairs while I'm sitting down in the office trying to get <laughs> get the work done. So yeah, it was... I'm just glad it's all over. Oh. All right, what are we drinking tonight? Uh, we're drinking Colton's uh, third favorite beer from Russian River Brewing Company, uh, but it's like a close third. Like it's all. I was yeah, I was gonna. I was half expecting you to say it's your favorite beer. Oh no, because I still like Elder and I like Younger, but then closely thereafter, I really like Mind Circus. So uh, it's definitely my favorite hazy that I've ever. It had. is the best hazy by far on the market. Hands down. In, in my opinion, yeah. I I mean, like, there's some people that maybe really like a really juicy hazy, and so it's like, that's okay, I get that. Uh, I like the crispness of mine surface. I do I, like a juice. I do like really a juicy good. one, but this so, one's still I do too. better. But this is really good. Yeah. So, it's all up to your own palates and your own flavors. But this, this has a similar favorite. taste profile as the Heady Topper and Focal Banger. Oh, yeah. It's just really light. That's really good. Um, you don't want to feel like you have to chew. Weed. Yeah, so, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Can I not have pulp in mine? <laughs> Can I get a pulp-free beer, please? Oh yeah, that was the. Uh, that was the one that you. That uh, was the Dust Bowl one. Yeah, that we had. Oh my goodness, that thing was crazy. Yeah, um, it's delicious. I highly recommend if you guys ever see a bottle of Mind Circus around your area, pick it up, um, give it a try, see if you like it. Um, if you are leery against hazy IPAs, um, it's but you still like IPAs, I think it's in that kind of wheelhouse where it's more of an IPA than it is a hazy, but everybody that likes hazy IPAs and that's like their thing, they love this beer too. So, um, and they think that it's really good and a good hazy, so it's good. All right. So we're going to have several topics tonight. We're going to start off with a light one. Wait, hold on. Before we get started, yeah. I want to know what you've been listening to. Well, well, I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. My bad. It's, it's tied to that. So what, Andy, what have you been listening to? We're doing, this is music of the week. What have oh, you been listening to? Um, Book, uh, artist, album. You know, I was trying to think of, uh, we went to a birthday party last weekend. And I want to say, oh man, I don't remember what I was playing though. Obviously, there's still there's still been listened to a lot of YouTube. Um, whenever I'm with my wife and she wants to get get fired up for her house cleaning, she plays yacht rock. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so <laughs> it's like. He's like, that's what I've been listening to. Is yacht rock. Yeah, yacht rock. I but we haven't we didn't listen to that because I was in charge of the music. I don't know. I have to look and see what I what I've been playing lately. Well, apparently it wasn't all that memorable. But okay, so you didn't come prepared either. Wow. <laughs> uh, I had I listened to some Michael Jackson. All right. Um, when I was riding around with my dad the other day, I threw it on "Leaving '99" by Audio A and just kind of let. Apple wow. Music like take over the the other songs. I've always I always liked that band. Um, Me too. I was sad when they broke up because the yeah. singer just his throat was his throat like, was yeah. gone. Oh, I man. know. I was like, Poor guy. Um, I threw on, and sometimes I just I'll just get a little crazy. I'll throw on some Avenged Sevenfold. 
Um, yeah. And who, you're wearing a Vanessa Raish t-shirt. What's that? That is... She's a country artist. Uh, she's a friend of... Or she's the daughter of one of my wife's co-workers. Oh, okay. So we went to a show that they did at... Uh, I think it was Cellar Door. And then there's another... Um, concert i think coming up it's friday or saturday and that gal's with another two female country singers they're doing it's kind of like a tribute thing Mm. they're doing dolly parton shania twain a whole bunch of nice bunch of those songs and i just this really comfy t-shirt i like i like i like comfy tees (laughs) i love those all right colton what have you been listening to uh the cars the cars oh nice i know yeah i was just like just felt like it I've uh, been driving kind of in the evenings. I like uh, just certain, sometimes getting to a uh, the cars. Uh, Who's going to drive you home? Tears for fears kind of mood occasionally. So, uh, yeah, it's usually. Yes. Colton continues to just show he's an old soul. <laughs> There's just 80s fits. sitcoms, just 80s music. It just fits, man. So, uh, I think it's just music that fits different types of vibes. And just yeah. those are just been cruising relaxing so it's been good what have you been listening to tim stones i've been re- listening to rolling stones nice nonstop. okay uh and i'll do that there's band rolling stones zeppelin i'll just i'll you know i'll they're in playlists that i have but then once in a while a song will just grab me and then i'll just completely immerse myself in them for about two weeks so mm. it was uh this is the song, I think, Roll the Dice, uh, which is on one of the older, uh, actually newer albums, and I think so, and it's just spectacular, and it got me back into listening to Wild Horses, and on and on and on, so. Nice, the stories. Alright, so, related to that, someone wrote an article this week. I'm going to read parts There's of it. There's people that write articles every week. Yeah, but they're writing it about music. <laughs> this summer marks the 40th anniversary of Synchronicity. The great record by the rock band The Police. 2023 is also the year when British rock band The Cure is touring to sold-out venues around the world in David Bowie's 1979 concert film Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders of Mars is being reissued. What do these things have in common? They are all rock and roll acts whose music is steeped in literature. The artists of a time when a pop music when pop music often led fans to books and often not easy ones to understand the music. Taylor Swift, arguably America's biggest pop star, is praised for her quote unquote self self confessional songs about boyfriends and fame. Swift is a clever lyricist, yet she lacks the literary depth of previous uh, music stars. Mm. Wow! Caught between the Scylla and Charybdis. Uh, 1983, my senior year in high school, Sting inspired me to read the novel The Sheltering Sky by Paul Boyles. The Sheltering Sky about three American expatriates in the Sahara Desert is a dour and depressing read. I read it when I heard Tea in the Sahara, a song that Sting wrote that was based on Boyles' novel. Further synchronicity, the album was named after a concept explored by both Carl Jung and Arthur Kessler, whose anti-communist masterpiece, Dark at Noon, I also read in high school. And he goes on and talks about uh, Kate Bush, quoting The Dice Man, or no, The Central Central World, which is an adaptation of James Joyce's Ulysses, The Cure's Magnificent Song, 
Charlotte sometimes was inspired by the book the same name by Penelope Farmer, uh, David Bowie, Bruce Springsteen. At the top of the heap is Mercy Street my P, uh, by Peter Gabriel, which I consider the best pop song ever inspired by literature. It celebrates the work of poet Anne Sexton. Sexton suffered from terrible depression in her poems about enduring the pain while trying to live a normal suburban life. Uh, and then he goes on and talks. Oh, what was another good one? Singer and lyricist Morrissey mentioned Keats, <laughs> Yeats, and Oscar Wilde. The title yeah. of the album, The Queen is Dead, is not a punk talk to the royal family, but a reference to The Last Exit to Brooklyn, the dark and gritty 1964 novel. So, what do you guys think? I read that and completely resonated with it. I, I, I note that a lot of the stuff that I hear from the 80s and earlier has got a lot more... Uh, either lines from books sting mentions a lot of books just by name in his songs uh you know when he's talking uh don't stand so close he mm -hmm. mentions the, that nabokov which is uh an ode to uh lolita mm -hmm. and uh and i don't find that i mean i'm sure there's there are bands that are doing that but i don't find it in most of the stuff that's being digested at the popular level these bands he's mentioning so thoughts yeah, uh, thinking about that, I, I I probably would have to admit listening to the Smiths and Morrissey has made me look up things that that have been mentioned in lyrics for like what are they what is he talking about uh, Reggie and Ronnie Craig <laughs> I had to oh, look yeah. those guys up like what is he talking about um, and uh, and the police too and yeah Sting it's funny you mentioned that some of those things but yeah any more. It definitely seems like within the art, it's a lost art. Of Zeppelin referenced cult Tolkien many, many times. I think, uh, I think actually, what's a really good um, kind of thing that's come out of the last couple of years that kind of puts a bow on this is the rise in popularity of K-pop, um, and it. It's really popular. If you are not familiar with it by now, just know that they are taking over the Grammys. There's lots of groups, fangirls, like these are huge groups all over the world that are Korean pop groups. Um, and they put together a boy band, boy girlish kind of sound. They put together these pop songs. They have some English words in them, but for the majority of it, it's all in Korean. Um, uh, which, again, kind of attributes to this idea that pop music is not really about the lyrics yeah <laughs> where it's like yeah you can feel relate you can love that music you could listen to it you could sing along to it you don't know any of the words that are being said legitimately like i asked my little sister is a huge fan of k-pop and i could ask her i'm like so what is this song like do you know what all these words mean and my little sister lived in south korea and she still doesn't know like what half of the songs that she listens to are about but it's just like you sing it because it's catchy, yeah, and it's good. Uh, there was an episode of a cartoon uh, that I used to watch growing up called uh, uh, Phineas and Ferb, and uh, <laughs> what we're gonna do today. There's one episode where they decide to make a pop hit, and on their checklist is meaningless lyrics, <laughs> uh, and so it's uh, it's great, um, it's funny. Um, but it's, yeah, it's true when it comes to pop music, I, I'm sure there's lots of people that like 
when you listen to like the Foo Fighters or something, there's a lot of uh, grit and things that are coming behind um, that, right? Like we can all talk about, uh, we were talking what like uh, a while back about Kurt Cobain's contributions and yeah. what he brought into a lot of his music and that kind of stuff. And so uh, this wasn't on the podcast, but this was, we were having the conversation after I came back from Seattle. Um, and so there's a lot of that kind of stuff. I think it still exists in rock as rock exists today. I think that there are lots of people in the rap industry that do this, um, where they, they reference other literary sources, um, and that kind of stuff. Um, but you really have to dig for it, like pop music, right? And that's, I think that's possibly the point that the person is trying to get to is like this album and, and Sting was this huge guy, um, that came out and, and did a lot of stuff where he played with words and um had this kind of stuff come out but i i still say that there are diamonds out there it's hard when you look at taylor swift where it's like and also like the stereotype of her like singing about her boy her ex-boyfriends and all that kind of stuff is like yeah 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 um it's kind of been played in played out when it john mayer does the same thing yeah i was like they both did it about each other. So, yeah. Uh, uh, I know what I know what girlfriend John Mayer's talking about when he's singing when it's the song. Like, oh, that one's the Jessica. What's her name? Song. That's the uh, girl who played Ra- uh, Rachel uh, on Jim, Friends. Jennifer Aniston. Aniston song. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's all fine. Like you just have to acknowledge like that's pop music. Um, but like I said, well, if you can find there it. is a band. I will. Uh, I want to give props to a band that's out right now. They've been out for a while. They're a little obscure. It's called The National. They're phenomenal. Their lyrics are dense, and clearly this guy is very well read, and he reads a lot of all, all kinds of literature. So hmm. they fall into that category. But they're not. They they probably have a song or two you've heard before on a playlist or something on one of your services, but they're not like wide widely listened to like the bands that are listed here and i i do think part of that the difference is we just don't read books in the folks that are coming up and i think this often gets and it can be seen as it criticism but we just technologies change how we digest things and we're reading a lot less books and so people who are writing songs are and TV shows often aren't nearly as well read as they used to be. Take it or leave it. Uh, I will also say, having watched and read a lot of read books and watched documentaries about the artists who came out of particularly the '60s and the '70s, a lot of those folks were also just highly educated and they just went to school. And like I think Bowie and the Stones and one or two of the members of the Who and maybe a couple other bands were all like at the same school at the same time. So they were all they were middle class or middle class kids, but they're also getting good educations. And part of that was reading classics. So, yeah. yeah. And, and Sting was an English teacher before he became a musician. So, yeah. Although supposedly so was... Uh, gene simmons and he's got no excuse (laughs) so what happened to him (laughs) he was some kind of teacher annie you're gonna say something i don't remember what it was but that's okay it wasn't worth it part of it is just you know we're an artist to employ all that kind of stuff that we're talking about 
would it be just lost on people now? Because it's like those people that, that actually do read a book and they come across a word that they don't know. If you're listening to the music and the artist reference something you don't know, would you immediately look it up? Would you search it up? I remember the, the girl from uh, Say Anything and he's going over to her house and he's looking at the dictionary and she has a dot next to all these words. He's like, what? Why do you have these dots next to these words in the dictionary? It's words I've looked up. What is this other one? Oh, I get mad at myself if, I have to, if I've looked it up once before. So it's like, do people have the discipline that if they hear something that, that they don't understand that that's referenced, are they going to look it up right there? It's easy to do now with your hand. That's super the irony computer. is in the article he's talking about hearing a lyric and then finding a, finding the book or something that it's based on. That was hard back then because yeah. not all these songs you can clearly hear what they're talking about. You're not necessarily sure it's a book. You're just making an assumption. Uh, and you didn't have the internet to look up the lyrics. Right. If you were lucky, they pub they the artist insisted that they yeah do like the tw- the twenty fold uh, liner sleeve. in the cassette or the yeah. CD that had all the lyrics in there. Or they saw an interview with Sting on MTV. Yeah, or, yeah, I guess so. Um, but well, now you can easily look it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. which I do all the time oh, when I can't hear Mushmouth somebody singing a song. I don't what what are they singing? Was he just yeah. Yeah, true. Most of the time, you can when you're listening to the song, you can hit the find the lyrics right there. True. All right. Yeah, now on Apple Music, you have the lyric feature. Yeah. Yeah. That's for uh, karaoke. Mm. Which I think they do have for a lot of songs. They have, they do have a karaoke feature. You can and it'll take out the. The, uh, I have it in my car. Yeah, yeah. yeah you have it in your car. I wondered if you, if you use that. Okay. Hey, I, I, we haven't... That was like, what, it was like free for like the first yeah. month or something, and then you're like, okay, we're not going to do that. But maybe when we have a kid, we will. Veggie Tales. That's right. We'll be singing, oh, where is my hairbrush all the way down the street. <laughs> Actually, my... One of my all-time favorite VeggieTales songs to this day is the Cheeseburger song. Uh, did you guys ever see that one? Mm, I can't recall it. It's with. It's not even with Larry. It's with uh, Mr. Lunt. Mm. I know nothing about VeggieTales. Wow, I'm sorry for you, sir. They had some catchy tunes. They did. I know a lot of them. A lot of the Christian bands that I used to listen to growing up uh, covered a lot of their songs. <laughs> uh, they did. They did like a little like cover when they came out with the when they came out with the movie or uh, the the first one, the Jonah movie. Mm. So it was like they did like rock punk covers of the VeggieTales songs. So so like Reliant K had one, Super Chick had one, uh, Audio Adrenaline had one. Uh, Newsboys had one. Oh, fun. Gave somebody a little too much head. How dare you, sir? <laughs> won't be the first time, won't be the last time. Great. Uh, it reminds me, uh, World Cup 94, uh, Rose this, Bowl, United this, States. Is this when that jack wagon? Yeah, United States, Romania. We had a fan in front of us, and he, he I think, thought he knew a lot about soccer but 
that's how I feel about the he, guy uh, from the United States that is always on the TV. That I think he thinks he knows a lot. Of well, Lawless right? was there at the game, so maybe that was maybe that was his brother. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, this guy kept yelling every like throughout the game. Great head, great head, <laughs> great head. Oh, were you there? No, you weren't there. You were only there for like two games. Uh, th- we were at. That's okay. That's fine. The great head. I want to not dismiss that. But also, at the same time, I was about to say another shitty person that's really terrible at commentating on soccer, and I love the man to death, is Landon Donovan cannot talk about, like, he he focused on, like, this one Spanish player and just being like, I bet he only made the team because he's dating the coach's daughter. And, like, kept making jokes about it, like, the entire <laughs> game. It was like... This guy can't play soccer at all, and he was on the pitch for, like, what, I don't know, like, 70 minutes, and just landed on him in every, like, 10 minutes. Whenever he got the ball, would just, like, make some sort of comment about wow. him. Wow, like, maybe he stole Landon's girlfriend from him. <laughs> I guess. Maybe. I'm like, golly. We were making fun of that so much. We're like, dude, Landon, shut, shut up. up. <laughs> Not okay, so tonight's main topic. But anyways, great head. Great hit. <laughs> Tonight's main topic is we're going to do some glossary of terms because Colton and I keep mentioning these theological concepts uh, like anabaptism. And, not, a, not a real word. And Andy doesn't think it's Andy thinks it's min, uh, made up. Yeah, and, Andy, uh, Andy quotes uh, <laughs> quotes the princess bride over and over again. Whenever he's like, we talk about Anabaptism, he's like, you you keep using that word. But I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, <laughs> so it is a word. It is a word. Uh, yeah, I think it's like any pasta. It's just it's like a made up dish. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so how are we gonna do this? All right, let's give just give some background where Anabaptism comes from. It comes out of the, which is gonna sound also sound like an Ar, a made up name. Uh, it comes out of the Arminianism, right, branch of the Reform movement. So uh, it's not Protestant technically. No. Uh, it's just not Catholic, and it came out of the the Reform movement that came out of broke away from Catholicism. Yes. So you had. Two main theological splits in the Reformed Church. You had Calvinism and Arminianism. And they both have different perspectives. The main crux of the differences are in salvation. Their view of salvation. Correct, Colton? Yes. Uh, where do the names come from? Calvinism named after the teachings of John Calvin, who uh, 1509 to 1564, and Arminianism is named after the teachings of Jacobus Arminius, uh, 1559 and six to 1609. And Jacobus was actually he wasn't a protege of Calvin, but he did stund, study under Calvin, and he just came to the conclusion John was. Uh, uh, basically was wrong about his interpretation of Romans. Was... Yeah, it's very similar to, like, if you were, uh, if you, like, studied under Freud, like, you were like, yeah, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, John Calvin, I mean, Calvin did a lot for the faith, 
uh, still like a lot. There was a lot of groundwork that was laid by John Calvin, but yeah, the the biggest issue that oftentimes comes through salvation when it comes to Calvinism. Um, I think it's a very simple faith uh, to look at Calvinism. It's not. I'm simple. I, I mean, I don't think any part of our faith is is simple, but uh, you do get one less thing on your checkbox list um, that you have to get done uh, if you uh, pay attention to Calvinism. So it can be very appealing to people. Um, do you have a definition? Of... I have definitions, and I have uh, the just... differences between Calvinism and yeah. Arminianism on two, one, two, three, four, five on this one, and then I think then we can go into uh, Anabaptism, which then splits off from the main beliefs of Ar Arminianism, like uh, the main Arminianism in the like in uh, believe. Well, maybe not. Maybe I'll, I, don't, I don't think. I don't think Arminianism itself had a problem with church and state. It was fine that the church and state were intermixed, whereas yeah. Anabaptism uh, was the first uh, major uh, Christian belief system to separate church and state and say they are not to be intermingled at all. Um, okay, well, let's go through the the differences and as i was going through them this week in preparation i was kind of you know some of them were like well that's not i don't disagree with that with the calvinists right um which is i think that's where we're going to kind of lead on this i have thoughts on this whole thing wrap this up okay so all right so what is calvinism's view of man is Man is completely depraved. I'm going to read from this website. A man is completely touched, affected by sin and all that he is. In nature, he is completely fallen, but is not bad as he could be. Uh, furthermore, this total depravity means that the unregenerative will not, of their own free sinful will, choose to receive Christ. So that's the Calvinist view. Basically, we're all just utterly depraved. We're not like quote unquote good people. We're just, uh, I don't know that they'd say we're evil, but we're completely sinful in that we are inward focused. We're not at all focused to God. And it is only God who brings about the change in us. It's n literally nothing we do. Right. Arminism believes in free will. Man is totally affected by sin. They agree with that. But with the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the unbeliever, the unbelievable, the, ugh, the unbelievable, the unbeliever is capable of freely choosing God. Yes. Well, also, if you want to look at that, the time period when those ideas were formed, take a look at United States, the Wild West. You have all these people around, total state of depravity killing each other you know all that kind of stuff if you were if you were trying to if you were kind or all that kind of stuff you know you're dead so what's the time period it's easy for us to sit around now and say oh, oh this we're, is we're 1600s yeah. and to your point <laughs> to your point most of the arminian uh sex got wiped out by both the catholics and the calvinists they just got like wholesale slaughtered so most of them had to leave. A lot of them 
That's one one reason why we have Quakers and whatnot in the United States because they're like, screw this continent, screw England, we're out of here. So, because of their beliefs and because they both challenged the Reformed Church and or the Reform movement and uh, Catholicism, yeah, they got they got rounded up or dr- driven out about everywhere they were at. Um, uh, okay, on election. Calvinists believe unconditional election. God elects a person based on nothing in that person because there is nothing in him that would make him worthy of being chosen. Rather, God's election is based on what uh, is in God. God chose us because he decided to bestow his love and grace upon us, not because we are worthy in and of ourselves of being saved. Uh, Arminianism believes in conditional election. Election to salvation is conditional conditioned upon God's foreseen faith in the person. Okay, so I don't think that those really describe it. So, uh, basically, Calvinists believe God just decides who gets to get saved and who doesn't, and we have to accept it because he's God, and who are we to challenge that and everybody else is just left to burn in hell where the arminians believe no we all have that possibility and we have to choose that basically jesus literally died for everybody calvinist says no they jesus died for whoever god decides he wants to save is am i misstating anything colton uh yeah i mean i don't want to like just like I don't want this to be like a Calvinist bash session. I'm not trying to bash. No, someone. I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm saying that, yeah. There's this idea, and if you were and like the Calvinist section will always word it differently. It's not like there's the term that we've thrown around. I think on this podcast before is elitist uh, kind of mentality that comes from it. Um, and again, the hard part is. This is how the world worked for so long, and so, um, which is actually a good uh, part that uh, Andy kind of pointed out of just understanding context and understanding that Calvinism can be born out of this idea of, again, this divine, um, you know, selection. Because, again, this is something that was a part of human nature for so long, where it was you were born into the status that you were able to obtain. And what's actually funny is, I mean, we we even talk about it in the United States uh, as a part of our Great Gatsby unit when we teach it to our uh, high schoolers is, can you ever actually change your status in the United States? Because we believe that you can. And we find that actually nine times out of ten you cannot. You will usually stay within your class. Um every single time so we love those stories of those people that go from rags to riches but the odds of you being that rags to riches person sometimes no matter how much you how hard you work right that's the death of a salesman right Mm -hmm. uh you can never jump classes um based off of the system that's in place and so um there's this kind of divine where it's the luck of the draw but nobody wants to do that and so like it's um divinely what has been chosen uh for you uh by god so um 
And I think that's always hard for us as human beings. I and why I struggle with that is I want choice. I want to decide. I want a God that wants me to want to choose him. Um, I think that that's okay for me to want because, again, I view this as a relationship, not a... Which, I mean, we've talked about before that a servanthood is not something that's far-fetched. Um, you know, being bought and paid for. I'm, I've already been bought and paid for. Um, I So in, by those means, I am a slave in some aspects. And so... Uh, but I still like my choice, and so maybe that is something where I have a little bit of bias towards, and I'm like, oh. But it does, for me personally, based off what the scriptures say and that kind of stuff, I, I agree with the idea that God wants us to choose him, um, and then that is what allows us to follow in his will, um, as opposed to it just being this set area um, where... It, there is a select few that are set apart, very similar to kind of how the Jews felt about themselves for such a long period of time. Yeah, and this notion comes from a passage in Romans where Paul mentioned talks about the elect, and that verse, and then there's right. some other verses that they also use, but that verse got latched on by the Calvinists to say that Paul was making it clear that we're elected by God, we're, we don't get to choose. I'm going to read, I'm going to keep using the other thing, Tim, uh, sorry, yeah, we're distracted at the moment. Tim, Tim's got his fancy humidor now, so he doesn't need his old one. So he's like, "Oh yeah, let's just go ahead and just toss the mics up on it and just scratch it all up. I don't care." <laughs> I just was like, "Wait, that's his humidor." Where's my humidor? He's like, "It's just a box now." Yeah, it's just a fine, it's just a fine box. <laughs> no one has phone books anymore. Uh, <laughs> It is. Okay, I'm going to read I'm going to read what so John Piper's got distinctions between the two and oh, he, I think I'm he's, sure and, he does. And well, <laughs> I'm going to read him though cuz he's fair to the Arminians and he's also good to read because he's an unabashed Calvinist. So, you know, don't take our word for what the Calvinists <laughs> <laughs> the, the reading rainbow over yeah. here well, well, don't take my word for it calvinism says so this is on atonement calvinism says that the death of christ god provided sufficient atonement for all but designed that it be effective for the elect meaning that christ's death purchased for them the new covenant promise that god would bring about in his people faith and perseverance damn john you talk like a church person jeez Arminians say that the death of Christ, that in the death of Christ, God provided sufficient atonement for all and designed that it would become effective by virtue of faith for which we, not Christ, provide the decisive impetus, meaning faith itself is not purchased by the cross, but that it is the human means of obtaining what the cross purchased, namely forgiveness of sins. I don't, I don't agree with that last little bit. I that I don't think is fair to Arminianism, nor do I think that so. But Tim said he was fair to Arminians. Well, I don't think he's not. He's not. He's not. Uh, he's not describing it in pejorative terms. Sure. Uh, okay. Let me go to the next one. The next one: election, unconditional. No, we did election. Oh, no. Oh, say. Atonement. You jump, yeah, Limited you atonement. atonement. Christ bore the sins of only the elect, not everyone who ever lived. That's what uh, 
Piper was talking about uh, Arminianism. Jesus bore the sin of all people, the elect and the non-elect. Ooh. And what does that mean? What are we talking? What are What are we talking about here? With atonement, Christ bore the sin of only the elect. So that would be. That's... Jesus died only for those God chose to save. Oh, but here we go. This is going to be the hard question here. See, but this is this is what <laughs> what angers me about some of this stuff is. Let's let's take everything that Jesus did to break away from the law, and then let's submit ourselves unto another law again, and let's keep yes. making laws and and undoing this is everything exactly that where Jesus I wanted did. This to go. Oh wow, that's crazy! So and, and then we're gonna decide. Then we're gonna decide the terms of what Jesus' death on the cross meant for everybody. Yes, yeah. we're gonna decide that. <laughs> so then, Andy, I got a question for you. <laughs> okay, what's your question? Okay, you just got on your soapbox. You just said what with definitive. You were like one hundred percent. There is. We're going to obey this other law. So is there a law that says that you have to accept Jesus Christ into your heart in order not to accept him as your Lord and Savior, and that is what saves you? Is there a law that says that? Is that what saves us? <laughs> or was it Jesus' death on the cross that saved us? Hmm. <laughs> I don't really think it matters. It only matters to people that want to be in a club, and if they don't hear you say the words of admission, then to them you're not in the club. Well, okay, so even if you... Okay, so let's say that you don't say words of admission ever okay. in your lifetime, and you never acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't acknowledge the faith, you don't uh, mm -hmm. follow his rules. Did Jesus not die on the cross for your sins as much as he died on the cross for the next person's? Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he still <laughs> did. But I, I think, yeah, I don't think so. I, I know I understand why Andy's confused, because this is where it is this issue. See, I, this is where I get I do get pissed off at the Calvinists, because th this is where they get to have their cake and eat it too. They get to say, well, the Christ, the cross is what saved everybody. However, God gets to choose who it is, so it's not. So that's how we don't go into universalism. While the Arminians, Arminians over there say the cross wasn't enough, and it's just that they're, it's by them accepting Jesus that they're, that, he, that they're saved. Yeah, I think the, that whole free will thing is the key where your salvation was, was already secured. But yeah, I think you do. You do have to say the words and all that kind of thing. Um, I think it is contingent upon that. Okay. But that's just, I think that's always the the hard part where it's still, there is this added, right? There's, so that becomes our circumcision. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where we've given up the circumcision. And so we say that this is something that you still need to partake of in order enough to be a part of, well, the hard part is, again, still that conversation that we keep having on here on whether or not eternity is eternity or what is this idea of heaven mm -hmm. that comes after death kind of thing. Um, so and that's, that's, it's, all these things can boil down to just making a person feel better. Yeah. It makes me feel better to hear you say the words. Then, now you're part of my club. Um but again, 
it doesn't matter. We're called to do certain things, and that's what we need to do, regardless of what happens at the end. We don't know. Yeah. We're not going to know. Yeah. Um, you can you know you can search the New Testament all you want. There's no you know we're not going to know exactly what's going to happen. So right. But we what what are, what is clear is what we're asked to do. Exactly. And that's what we need to do. And we don't need to worry about all of this minutia and, and all the things that that, are, that split up churches and create all these different denominations and all that. That stuff is not relevant. If we're following the instructions that we were given, keep it simple. Stay with that. But instead, we want we want to make our clubs and we and we want we want our, our rites of passage and all these things to to be part of the membership. Yeah, we want our clubs to be as large as possible, right? Or that's the idea anyways. So we go and we try to, uh, at least that's what some people have claimed is the vision of Jesus Christ. And so we go and uh, their roles are to get as many people to get circumcised, as they said, right, um, as possible. So we go and we, uh, we go to foreign countries and we try to cram the Bible down their throat and we say that you need to repent of your sins immediately or you're going to die and suffer for eternity in hell. <laughs> yeah. Avoidance of pain. But is that what we're called to do? Right. No. <laughs> right. So that's like the hard part where it's like, Well, then, then we're not Arminians because... But then Armin my question is if we just showed them love the entire time but we didn't get them to say the prayer or the club before the time that they died, like what... Because all we did was love them. Yeah. But that doesn't... That, again, that's to my point. It's to make us all feel better. Right. Because if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, whatever it is that's that's working inside of that person is between that person and God. Right. Let them work it out. I don't have to be concerned about that person went to heaven or hell or did whatever. I did what I was asked to do by my God, mirroring what what Jesus did, and be an example and let those people react as they will. But if you want, why do we make them say a prayer? Well, we think that make asking them tell okay, you need to do this. Except, do you accept Jesus in your heart? Are you forgiveness of sins, all this and. We think that it does something to the person, and I think that's why a lot of people want to hear them say it. But by the same token, it's to make ourselves feel better. Well, I know I, I got that person to say it, so if they die tomorrow, then then they're going to be saved. Well, it's not up to you. Well, and here's also something that I've heard Calvinists say, where they said, and which is very similar to what Andy is getting at, where it is like, because God chooses, then that stuff works like... They believe that they're just there to spread the seed. Right. They're like, I don't do any of it. Right. Like, that's God. Right, right. Like, God does all that work. Um, and if they choose to reject him, then God, they're just not a part of the elite. Like, that's just it mm. um, kind of mentality. Where it, and I, I think it exists in every asset, uh, every, like, group that believes in Jesus, like, to some extent, like, most Anabaptists would sit there and say, I can sleep at night too, because Calvinists are like, I don't know how you sleep at night, sitting there thinking about like all these people that you need to go out and save. And we're like, well, that's just not exactly, like your definition of how we save people is not exactly my definition of how we right. save people, right? Of uh, just, I need to go out there and I need to show people love and care and respect and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not sitting there counting the number of days that they have left in their life, because they could 
end up dead tomorrow. And that could haunt people. They're like, well, you didn't save them or whatever. And it's like, um, you know, I, I did what I could, you know, as long as it was within the realms of what I, I'm not going to sit there and force dunk people into water and say in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit, because by those expectations, we could technically do that with every single person where we just freak out that bad where we're like, I, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and like, we don't know. And so we got to dunk you like as soon as possible. And that's, the, and again, we've talked about this with baby baptism before where it, it does seem <laughs> like baby baptism or even young kids getting baptized. It's not necessarily this declaration of faith. It's more of the parents being like, I need my kid baptized because I believe that that's how they get saved later on. Like, I don't want them to go and suffer in hell if they were to go and like, like my kid breaks his arm like once a week. So like I need to get him like, so I don't know. We'll, I'll do the last two after I bring this up because you, after we deal with this, because you brought it up. That is also a key. That was also a key split with the Arminians from both the pro, the uh, Calvinists, the early Protestants and the Catholic church. Arminians came out and said, we do not believe in baby baptism, only adult baptism is true baptism. And it was a big split in the church. Yeah. Um, I'm not against baby baptism. I, I Again, the dunking of the water thing I still feel is extremely symbolic. I think in context of the time, the baby baptism was seen as we got the baby taken care of and so... And you see that in, even in today, I think, in some Catholic circles. Well, I was baptized as a kid, so I'm a Catholic. It's, yeah, well, that's it doesn't, it, that's not like holy water that washes you over. No, that's like true. A veil of protection. Yeah, it's a... I mean, it's in the Godfather, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a membership kind of thing where it's like, okay, I was baptized here, and so therefore I belong there for the rest of my life uh, well, kind of thing. And a lot of Protestants... know how long the babies were going to live, so... That's to them, they well, were taking true. care of their immortal, soul, their souls. Uh, that's 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 a that's a, that's an interesting. Yeah. Well, and that's also what I'm saying is that there's this idea again where we are so focused on the immortal soul, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that warps a lot of how we view the faith. When I think that that's not what Jesus was getting at at all. We want this thing that's on the other side that we know nothing about. And even like like I've said, we talked about it a couple times on this podcast, that there's only like two things that are possibly hinted at, at this eternal something that exists outside of the lives that we live. And so the lives that we live now is what we are called to do and make action towards. It's not about creating stuff for afterwards. Right. It's about here and now. And so... We make those moves now. And so baptizing your baby is kind of like almost, I almost wonder if God laughs. <laughs> like he's just like, okay. Like he's like, I, the high. Like, you know, and, um, the, he just is like, okay. And hopefully someday, but, and there's good things that come from it. Again, there's the idea that the parents have prioritized this for their child and hopefully, like, that's the whole idea of baby dedication. Yeah, so, that's where you're so getting, like, for any yeah. of the, anybody that's out there that's like, 
oh, we don't baptize in our church, but you still do baby dedication. Like it's it's kind of basically yeah. Like yeah. yeah. So they they take their, they go up to the baby and they say all the people in the church say we do blah blah. blah. Yeah. We're all gonna take care of this baby blah mm-hmm. blah blah. And it's like yeah, I'm dedicating it and all these people and I prioritize this for my baby and my life. But then meanwhile, I did this to check up box off and i'll only be at this church for christmas and easter you know um hey when you have baby dedications you'll <laughs> potentially have more from the collection basket. yeah exactly so um Just that's a, so it's kind of like okay um yeah it's it's that idea same kind of thing uh one more note on election uh election as a concept was much more palatable in the 1600s when Yes, more beer. Which one am I getting? Uh, the Belching Beaver. Oh. Or the, I don't know. There's some moonlight in the back. What were you lighting? Surprise me. There's two moonlights. There's boats, boats and hose. Oh. Mmm, beer. So, uh, while we're drinking, <laughs> now we're on to other beers. We're drinking Moonlight. I'm having Bombay by Boat IPA, and you guys are having... Delhi by, Delhi by Dingy. Delhi by Dingy, which we had on the show like two, three weeks ago. One more note about election. It was much easier to accept. I think this is a good point of, I think it needs, we need to keep bringing up points of where culture matters. Christians believe that their beliefs are just strictly based on theological Puritanism. Not to say that you're a Puritan, but this is, we've come across this because this has become the true version of Christianity, and it fails to ignore cultural things that are going on uh, that give you that archetype. And so in the 1600s, it is much easier to... It's not a... It's not coincidence that the mass majority of the church believes, and then Protestant even continues to hold on to... The idea of election when you ha- when you're governed by popes and kings, and those people have plenary power to decide whatever they want to do to your life, and there's nothing you can do to, to to challenge that. Yeah, I mean it's really. I haven't read anything. I did read Max Weber when I was in college, who's a German philosopher who talked about Puritanism of uh, the. The Reformation and uh, democracy and the the Protestant work ethic and all that capitalism all are hand in hand. Like there wouldn't be capitalism, there wouldn't be democracy without the Reformation. And I'm you can kind of see that here, where you have this first group of people come out and say, "No, we have free will to decide. It's not God who just decides." You know, similar to the Pope deciding what's going to happen, or a king that decide we're going to go to war, or whether or not he's just going to. Uh, burn you at the stake or have you have you beheaded and this is frankly a foreign concept to anybody it was it's <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in monty python's holy grail where the two peasants are having that political discussion about That's the greatest <laughs> i love that scene so much <laughs> well i didn't vote for you yeah <laughs> so anyway uh, we mentioned that before where a historical context I think needs to matter. And so, all right, so last two, regeneration. 
Calvinists believe in irresistible grace, the act of God making the person willing to receive him. It does not mean that a person cannot resist God's will. It means that when God moves to save, regenerate a person, the sinner cannot successfully re resist God's movement, and he will be regenerated. Well, that seems, those two sentences seem to have contradicted them, <laughs> themselves. Okay. Uh, Arminianism believes in resistible grace. The sinner can successfully resist the grace of God and not be regenerated when God convicts that person. I have no dog in that fight. I frankly don't care. No. Why should we care? <laughs> uh, I'll read, I'll read uh, Piper's description. Calvinists say that the new birth is God's work of renewal in our hearts that necessarily brings about the act of willing, hearty, saving faith. Arminians say the new birth of, uh, is God's work of renewal in our hearts in our response to our act of saving faith. Uh, security, or let's call it perseverance. Perseverance of the saints. Calvinists believe perseverance of the saints. We are so secure in Christ that we cannot fall away. Save once, always saved. Uh, Arminians believe falling from grace, it is possible to fall away from the faith and lose one's salvation. Although I think some Arminians don't really hold to that. Mm, I think that that's fairly common with the Armenian. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you know, I do I think, too. Uh, yeah, that's always a tough one. Um, is the faith without deeds is dead? Um, scripture from James. Um, but again, you have a lot of stuff coming from Paul that talks about how uh, your faith um, can never leave you, kind of stuff. Um, and again, it comes down to what I think always what's hard is the save aspect. Um, what is it saving you from? So the idea constantly, like I said, this warps thing for such a long time is it is saving you from eternal damnation, either hell or after we die or purgatory or whatever. Um, but really what, if we are viewing it the way that we've talked about it, where this is something that is saving us from who we are or, and what's going on now, we believe that if you are following in God's will and you are doing your best and you are being saved from a lot of the issues that revolve around sin, um, a lot, you're being saved from a lot of the mistakes, the heartaches, the, um, the pain and suffering that can exist uh, that you cause for other people as well as for yourself when you are suffering in sin. And so you're saving yourself from those things. Um, and if you continue to, and again, Jesus and God relieves you of those burdens of, you know, um, if I am actively participating in this, then I know that like that stuff doesn't really matter. It's not really about that. I need to be focused on what I'm doing, doing all that kind of stuff. If you fall away from that and you sit there and you no longer believe that they no longer have that, you can have the possibility of a lot of that weight coming back on you and a lot of that stuff that you're not able to be saved from. Anymore. Right. Um, and so that's that's how you would look at that in our context as opposed to the or what we've talked about on this podcast as to what our context is versus the 
the idea is always still most of the times when people talk about it it's that idea of what happens after we die so can you lose the ability to go to heaven and end up in hell right uh, and so that's always the big debate because people want to know do you, like if i got baptized as a baby right <laughs> does that carry over i bought my ticket in advance are there armenian armenians that's a good question <laughs> that's a good question because uh, i don't know what the armenian church is armenian uh, church is i think it's probably it's greek, close orthodox. To, it's greek orthodox yeah. so it would yeah. be probably uh, not no. well there's probably some there's a breakaway <laughs> called Turks. Mm. Careful there. Definitely. <laughs> Careful there. Not uh, Armenians. <laughs> nope. Nope, they eliminated all this. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right, now I'm going to do Anabaptist. So now we'll get to Anabaptism, which again is a part of the Armi Arminian movement. Uh, one, high view of the Bible. Uh... Anabaptists accept the scriptures as the authoritative word of God through the Holy Spirit, the infallible guide to men, faith Christ, the uh, emphasis on the New Testament. Since Christ is God's supreme revel revelation, Anabaptists make clear a clear function distinctional a functional distinction between the equally inspired Old Testament and New Testament. We see Old and New Covenant. We read the Old from the new per from the perspective of the New and see the New as the fulfillment of the old, where the two differ, new prevails, and thus Anabaptist ethics are derived primarily from the New Testament. Yes. Emphasis on Jesus as the center to all else. Anabaptists derive their Christology directly from word, the word and emphasize the deep commitment to take Jesus seriously in all life. Such a view runs counter to notions that he commands that the commands of Jesus are too difficult for ordinary believers or that Jesus' significance lies almost entirely in providing heavenly salvation. Rather, salvation of the soul is part of a larger transformation. Hmm. Uh, the necessity of a believer's church. I, I read this one and people, there were several articles pointing out this is a difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. Anabaptists believe that Christian conversion, while not necessarily sudden and traumatic, always involves a conscious decision. Okay, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Believing that an infant can have no consciousness, intelligent faith in Christ, Anabaptists baptize only those who have come to a personal living faith, voluntary baptism together with a commitment to walk in full newness of life, to strive to purity, in the church constitutes the basis of church membership. Okay, well, that's not our Anabaptist church at all. That's basically saying you've got to be part of the membership, right, to be a member of the church. Although we don't even have membership at our no, church. No, that one was mainly more about, I felt, unless I unless you skip down at, at, past the one where it was... No, that one seemed, it, it talked about... It talked about a couple of different things. It talked about what we had talked about, where you have to make a conscious decision in order to follow Jesus, in yeah. order not to be um, a part of the club, so to speak. Um, and then uh, infants cannot make uh, those decisions because they don't have a consciousness. 
Um, so that's why they say that there's no baby baptism. Um, well, that part is all in line with our church. But the last sentence, it says voluntary baptism together with a commitment to walk in the full newness of life and to strive to purity in the church constitutes the basis of church membership. Yeah, that means that you have to be baptized in order not to be a member of the church. Yeah. Which I don't know the rules of membership at our church. But the uh, stated every Sunday is you don't have to believe to be here. You don't have to believe to be here. But again, member is different than than goer, if that makes sense. Like, Yeah, I don't know that we what, have membership. Or what rights I'm, I'm and privileges a does a member have that an attender doesn't? I know what, particular church. at our previous church, what the difference oh, was. Oh, we all know that one very well. But, <laughs> I don't know what it is But now. I'm saying at the at the new one. We've I been there three years. I've never heard membership brought up. I've never heard it brought never... up. They've never talked about, we have a members meeting. Right. We don't have, right? Because so remember when that was like a thing? Like, if you're a member, stay oh, after. We're voting. Please stay, because we have to have a quorum. Yeah, exactly. And someone dutifully counted to make sure... We have this. We know we have this many members on the roll, and this many people have yeah, to be here. Yeah, and there was also the whole like, uh, if you're looking to become a member, we want you to take our next steps class uh, before you're able to, and we can do our vision casting and all that kind of stuff. And yes, I do believe that as a part of that whole class, they heavily emphasize baptism. Yes. Um, before you were able to. Uh, well, I don't recall them requiring that. For people to serve in the the various ministries that were at the site. No, in other words, children's church. If you're going to be a leader in there, they did not require that. And go on a regular basis, but in order to get voting rights, or and I think it's pretty much just voting. And a key. If um, you were going to get a key to a building yeah, or something like that, you had to be a member. Yeah. And so we're clear for anybody that's at a church, and you were thinking to yourself that you want a set of keys. Or you want to key to any This is the worst idea ever. The answer is no, you do not. You do not. You do not. Best kept secret. <laughs> Best know. kept secret in the church. That or, church we were at before was you, I had a key to everything, and no one knew no about one it. No one should know about yeah, it. Yeah, no, no one knew I had a key. Like you steal it. Like you go have your friend go make a copy for you or something like that. Anytime I was asked, do I have a key? That's the key. That's I do not have a key. You do not have a key. Because I live two minutes from the church, so as soon as that would have been found out, I would have yeah. been on Cause speed you, dial you for everything. Because then you got to open doors. You got to be like, oh, turn okay. off alarm. The yeah. alarm went off at four in the morning. Yeah, yeah exactly. Giotto's isn't answering. Can you, you don't go want down? Key. You yeah. don't want key. I I've learned that just about that, and as well as like uh, teaching. I'm like, I want as little keys as possible to my school, because when they're like. Who was it that broke? Who or who was it that left this unlocked or whatever? I don't have a key to that, so <laughs> I'm good. I want a key to my classroom, and that's it. Except now I have to have a key to the pool and like all that kind of stuff. Now there's a lot more responsibility weighing on. <laughs> so, so back to the Sorry. that whole baptism thing, though. Why is it that that there that we're placing an impediment in front of? Say a new believer, or someone that's been attending, and they're just like, "Yeah, I don't like water. I don't. I don't want to do that." Why do we place such an emphasis? Yeah. What if What if somebody had like hydrophobia? Yeah. And they, but they got up in front of the church and they professed or they professed their faith in front of everybody, but they didn't get dumped. Right. Would that? <laughs> I've yet to see a church do it. I would love to see a church do that. Let's not even say that they have hydrophobia. I don't care. 
on the video that comes up before, they're not allowed to say it. The guy just gets up on stage and just says, and they said, I baptize you, my brother, and doesn't do anything. Just says, Shoots him in the forehead with a squirt gun. I don't Ooh, care. Ooh, that'd he, be funny. He doesn't have to get, he doesn't <laughs> have to get submerged. There was water involved. I think we should challenge Forrest to do that. We should be like, hey, Forrest. Well, you know, you if you're Presbyterian, you get sprinkled on the forehead, similar to kind of a Catholic. No, I thing. say I want to see a church that does a baptism with no water. Okay, that that okay. <laughs> Your what you guys are bringing up though is the classic conundrum. But then will everybody be like? Is that where you have like the butterflies in your stomach? Where you're like. Or what's the... You don't have catharsis. The person didn't get dunked, so you're sitting there thinking... It's not real. It's not real. That guy's going to die. Jesus is going to go to hell. Jesus got dunked. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly... They're going to be like, oh, but the guy on the cross didn't. And he's going to be with him in paradise. That was guaranteed. Okay, so (laughs) Mormons actually believe if you are not baptized, you don't... It doesn't matter if you accept. If you're not baptized... Church Christ. Church Christ as well. Uh, You got to be baptized in water. Thanks, Jojo. Uh, now, the question that I asked of the Church of Christ person that I know closely, I know a couple of Church of Christ people that are that are really close. I asked them, I said, what about the guy on the cross? Um, because they were adamant. has to be dunked in water. It's our calling. It's our mission. Same thing as what we talked about before. That's that mission, that vision that was cast out for us by Jesus. The Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. So the day of Pentecost had not happened. And so, therefore, Jesus could do that, or and it was Jesus that did that, and so that was the argument that was made. I don't know if that's the full argument or whatever, but so therefore, so take out the pho- the phobia. What if you you're you know you go you're in the middle of the Arabian desert. You're in the the during Sahara. their during their time, not ours, because I mean, like you can find water out there. Oh, you mean like you're stranded out there and yeah. you got a guy with you? Oh, okay. Gotcha. The point is... Right, and the... Andy, and your question is a good one because it goes continues to go at the heart of what Colton and I continue to pull the thread on, which is this Dan McLaughlin-themed idea of you guys are reading the Bible as this, like, eternal thing and not reading enough historical context into it and when you don't you get hung up on stupid stuff and then when you conveniently know what the context is for like women have to wear headgear you're like oh that's historical context we don't need to do that anymore unless you're like i don't know some still in a holiness church that requires women to wear hats but most of us are like no that's the dutch that's just for the that's just for the day it's my understanding that Jesus is baptized by John. John's baptized first. He's baptized because I think he's a Nazarene, and that was the Nazarene practice going back in what is talked about in the Old Testament. Samson was a Nazarene. That they were there was some kind of dunking process to wash over, and Jesus is tapping into that when he gets baptized, and then he does that throughout his ministry of baptism. We get it fixed on as this like sacred covenant that we can't alter at all. It's uh, an additional part of the circumcision. Correct. It's it's yeah. It's the Gentile. Circumcision. It's the Gentile circumcision. It is. Whereas, and it's fine if you 
if you're fine to getting fully dunked or if you want to go to a different church where they do the sprinkling, the point isn't. And I'm sure there are churches much like the Catholic Church actually believes you're eating and drinking of the blood of the body and uh, blood of Christ. I'm sure there are ch churches who still today say you're like what you were talking about, Colton. You are literally getting your sins washed away in this moment. Yeah. And it is only through that process that this is happening. When it's all a symbolic thing of publicly in the time of Jesus declaring to your literal Savior that I'm all in. I'm yeah. following you, dude. You can you can baptize me. Or one of the disciples, I'm all in with your rabbi. I want to be a follower. And I'm publicly declaring that in front of a group of other people. Mm -hmm. And we get... So, yeah, who can, You know... I would, you know, squirt gun probably might look like you're having too much fun with it, that to be honest. So but to but to that. your initial thing of super soaker, honestly. I don't like water. I'm gonna stand up here. <laughs> I got a towel around over my shoulder. I'm wearing my skivvies, but I I'm not gonna get and I'm publicly declaring. I think we should get a fire hose. There you go. <laughs> Just blow people. I I think when I, when I'm we were going that through that process about. Talk. I, I remember maybe it, I was going through like some classes like that, and when they talked about the whole baptism thing, and the, I, I came away from it thinking, the people that put up the most resistance to being baptized, you know, I was baptized as a baby when I was a Catholic, and I, did, I think those people should be baptized, and the ones that go, yeah, okay, I can do that, no problem, they're probably okay because that that's that's. The biggest reason why I chose to actually do it was because I wanted it to... It wasn't really about me, to be honest with you. Right. It was about the the process and, and other people in the church being affected by it. My wife and my kids being affected by it. Um, by seeing that I would... You kind of... You put your ego to the side. When you agree to yeah. go up there and be in front of other people and, you know, you got, yeah, we had the white robe thing on, but you're up there in a swimsuit and, you know, in front of the whole church and you, you get dunked in there. So it's, it's something about like setting your, your pride aside. And I think that, that outward expression that you're willing to do that for some people, maybe it is about all about them and they, they really feel in inside that they need to have that outward expression done. Um, for me, that wasn't so much that it's, I, didn't really have to do it, but I just said, you know, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good gesture to do to, for other people in the church. And as I said before, my family to see, um, so that, that was kind of my takeaway was the people that put up so much resistance to the idea of it, they have some kind of a stronghold in their hearts that are, that they're not willing to, um, set aside. All right, I'm going to blitz through the rest of these because then I want to have a wrap-up discussion about what we've been discussing. Okay. All right. Uh, number six, insistence on a church without classes or division. There's no ethnic, racial, class, sex distinctions. We're all part of the the unity and uh, quality of the body of Christ. Except for baptized or non-baptized. <laughs> uh, belief in the church as a covenant community, corporate worship, mutual aid, fellowship, and mutual accountability characterizes community and individualistic or self-centered anabaptism is contradiction in terms. Separation from the world 
community of transformed belongs to the kingdom of God. It functions in the world, but is radically separate from the world. The faithful pilgrim church sees the sinful world as an alien environment and thoroughly different ethics and goals. The principle includes separation of church and state. Therefore, Anabaptists reject all forms of civil religion, be it traditional corpus, Christinium, or recently developed forms of Christian nationalism. Zing! Uh, this is also where uh, pacifism comes out and uh, that... Uh, church as a visible counterculture, as a united fellowship of believers, every Anabaptist congregation models an alternate alternate community, alternate such as <laughs> such <laughs> as covenant community functions as an authentic counterculture. Uh, just so you know, if you're listening to this, uh, Amish etc. are part of the Anabaptist movement and the extremes of it. Yeah, Mennonites are. Too. Mennonites. So, and that's why they dress differently and are separated from the world, because uh-huh. they don't want to be uh, corrupted by it. Are, uh, are Anabaptist sects in this area are um, branched from the Mennonites that came and uh, settled in our area? FPU, uh, our Anabaptist University, uh, was founded by Mennonites that moved over from Russia um, to escape Stalin's uh, regime over there. So, started a Christian college. Um, in the middle of the Central Valley. Um, and so they do, they have like kind of this Anabaptist culture. Yeah. Kind of, um, so like I was a part of a cohort at Preston Pacific and like you cook a meal um, and you guys do like community stuff every single week. It's like a requirement of your cohort is that somebody is providing a meal, like one person from your group is providing a meal for the whole class every single week. So there's 22 of us and we cook a meal for it every and like they lay that down from the beginning and it's kind of a weird thing but it's it's what you do uh, half of us are are young college students I, it was always night classes and then the other ones were you know 40 year olds and i was like a part of an educator one so it's like so the young kids all go out and buy boxes of pizza and then the, <laughs> the 40 year olds are like they're like, this is my family recipe of enchiladas, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is delicious. <laughs> um, so it's fun, always good times. Um, but yeah, there's a huge emphasis on a lot of that stuff um, that still exists um, in a lot of parts of Anabaptist churches. So, all right, here we go, the big one. Belief it that the gospel includes a commitment to the way of peace modeled by the Prince of Peace. Here, Anabaptists differ from many other Christians. Anabaptists believe that the Peace position is not optional, not marginal, not related to, uh, not related mainly to the military on the basis of scripture. Anabaptists renounce violence in human relationships. We see peace and reconciliation, the way of love, as being at the heart of the Christian gospel. God gave his followers this ethic not as a point to ponder, but a command to obey. It was costly for Jesus, and it may be costly for his followers. The way of peace is a way of life. Again, as I said earlier, they, <laughs> they actually lived this out and got wholesale slaughtered in Europe. Uh, commitment to servanthood. Just as Christ came to be a servant to all, so Christians should ser- also serve one another and others in the name of Christ. The separation from a sinful world is balanced by a witness of practical assistance to a needy and hurting society. And finally, insistence on the church as a missionary church. Anabaptists believe that Christ is commissioned 
the church to go into the world and all society make disciples of all people, blah, 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 blah. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I think we know what that one is. Okay. Uh, one thought. The more I was delving into all this kind of stuff, I would say, particularly in the United States, I think Anabaptism and Calvinism and a lot of these beliefs have become much more intertwined than I think they used to be. Um, and part of that's because denominations have lost their power. You might be at a Presbyterian church, but basically you're just part of a denomination that old, holds owns an exceptional amount of property. And that's really what the deal is. A lot of a lot of denominations like the Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church exist because they own the property and it's a lot of money that they control. But uh, and they use that power over the over the church. But a lot of churches that don't have that central control, you can call yourself a Baptist, but you don't really have to follow any kind of central Baptist beliefs. And so a lot of these churches have, I think, morphed into something else. I think, and I even say that about our quote-unquote Anabaptist church. I think a lesson, yeah, I think a lesson to be learned here is not necessarily, um, well, I don't know, and you guys may disagree with me. I think that this is something that's important, and especially when it comes to making decisions for what it is for your life. Um, we all come from a variety of different backgrounds. We have lots of different experiences. I don't think that we can sit there and say um, that we are a part of a club and we stand for every single part of that club. Um, or there may be things that maybe, or maybe you do associate with every single part. Um, and then you can plant your flag there. But maybe this is just the Gen Z part of me talking that says that, you know, there. You don't need to be so black and white um, anymore, where you need to sit there and say, I'm Calvinist or I'm Anabaptist or whatever. And a lot of churches, like, if you're sitting there and you're like, I have no idea what my church is. Right. That's strategic. Yes. They don't want you to sit there and, like, I, I think it's great that Andy is like, I don't know what Anabaptist, like, that's not a word. Like, that's great. Yeah, it means that exactly. it's not being crammed down your throat, <laughs> right? Right, you know, like nobody's like you need to you need to associate with the Anabaptist way of thinking, and like this is how we do things, and blah blah blah. blah. Who's Anabaptist? Yeah, exactly. Who's anti-Baptist? Or like, who, I don't get it. Um, I don't remember reading a girl named Anabaptist in my Bible. Yeah, so there's, <laughs> it's. I don't think I think this way with politics. I think this way with a lot of things where it's. I don't think that we are so perfectly in sync all the time that you need to sit there and plant your flag and just be like, I believe all of these things. I think that you need to believe some of those things, right? That's that whole idea of what we talked about, that core, the dogmas, the doctrines, the opinion area that kind of branches out from there. And you'll find that a lot of the stuff that we talked about today does delve – Usually the things that Tim was talking about at the beginning are talking about those core things, okay? We're talking right. about uh, how do we deal with Jesus and we, we recognize him as our savior. 
and then we go from there to the dogmas, then the doctrines. And a lot of what we talked about today was mainly doctrine, and that's why you have the splits. Most of the time, that any time a split happens, it has to do over doctrine-level stuff, um, how you practice your faith, and then eventually going to the opinions. Um, and so that's, uh, so that's just something to think about um, for anybody that's listening where it's like, I don't really feel like I necessarily agree with all of that stuff. And, we, and also something to be said about what we're doing today is we're just defining this word that we've been throwing around forever. Right. Like this is Anabaptism. We're not trying to convince anybody to be an Anabaptist or anything. We're just like, hey, we keep throwing around this word. And we're like, oh, yeah, we go to this Anabaptist church. Like what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Um, and, and again, it's part of that Christianese um so to speak of where we say these things and people that are even if you've been a christian for a long time you're still like what the hell i've never even heard that right and you're like i go to a baptist church but i don't really know what it means i didn't know there were anti anti baptists yeah (laughs) the anti-baptists um and so if it doesn't say it on your church's title then is that actually a thing like it should be anabaptist neighborhood yeah uh so well, by when, when you hear it, <laughs> from being from being ignorant of that term, whenever I'd hear it, it's like, you can still be a Christian. You don't have to be dunked in water. Yeah, you're like, no, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sign me up. They shoot them with squirt guns over there. Yep. Well, <laughs> yep. well I, to your point, and this is, this is, I'm glad you, this is where I wanted to go with this. Look, the, the Catholic Church for 1,500 years was systematically the church from the beginning was trying to systematically come up with some kind of theology some kind of like all right what jesus said this well we gotta like what does it actually mean and there's there's some value to that and the catholic church didn't linearly just come up with beliefs it kind of zigs and zags a little bit you know aquinas comes around kind of re-centers the church in some ways the Reformation, as I've mentioned before, comes at a time when we have the printing press. That is not a coincidence. And what is what else is happening at the time of these splits within the even between the church and within the church is the Enlightenment. And one of the big things of the Enlightenment Enlightenment was to systematize everything. We systematized. Cap, we systematize commerce. We come up with capitalism. And what does that mean? And systematize that. We systematize science really for the first time in a way and start coming up with categories to things. And then we systematize theology. And we've sit, spent the last 400, 500 years, 400 years, overly systematizing. And I think to the point of navel gazing Christianity. And my hope in kind of us reading this and a lot of people not knowing i don't really know i go to this church but i'm not really sure what their core quote-unquote core beliefs are i'm not sure that's a bad thing because i think we've overly wed ourselves to systematic theology rather than just the relationship like so much of what we talked about and this is doing away this is a sign of doing away with that Tank's gonna be breathing under my mouth. I know. All of that. You're gonna have to mute my microphone. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I do. I do too. That was well said. All right, I'm gonna read a quote from a guy. He he. Uh, I'm gonna. This is a good quote. <laughs> quote from a guy. 
It was Jimmy from, from around the corner. <laughs> Who's this guy? Uh, he's a music, Christian musician. I hope that's him. It is. With the It's Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> is that him? The guy that's on the screen <laughs> right there? Sean Groves. Oh. He looks like his name would be Sean Groves. And he's quoting from a sermon by an Anabaptist pastor in Canada, which I think Anabaptism is very prop, uh, much more prominent in Canada than is here. It's actually much more prominent in Africa. Okay. And to the extent, I don't know if I'm an Anabaptist or what, but to the extent of what I am, I, I agree with this quote, the thought of this pastor. Hey, remember, you don't need to plant your flag, okay? I know. As Anabaptists, we tend toward biblical theology rather than systematic theology. In biblical theology, we tend to read scripture and mine it for implication, and then go and live what it says. We ask, what is the Bible saying on this matter? Systematic theology is rooted in the Bible, absolutely. It takes the bi biblical data and constructs a system of thought on a particular topic that is rooted in Scripture, but then once that system is built, the believer goes back to Scripture and reads it through that filter. Now you can see the danger and advantage. Systematic theology creates a clear headedness so that when you read scripture, you can fit things together and see things perhaps you've never seen before. But what if when building that original structure, you made some mistakes? Now you've built a filter that's flawed, and every time you read scripture through it, you will reinforce flawed beliefs. So all of us need to be humble and say, we believe that through the Bible, God is speaking to us and theology is only our best intellectual human response to that. Anabaptists just don't typically do systematic theology with the depth and rigor that Calvinists do, for example. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. One reason is that we look back over the church history and realize that in those times when the church was theologically the most rigorous, it was also the most violent. Every time they held another meeting to make sure that they nailed down orthodoxy was another time that persecution broke out against the people who did embrace the orthodoxy. So you can understand... Then, why historically Anabaptists are very skeptical of creeds, we're a non-creedal group of people, because every time you fashion a creed, it gives you another excuse to kill people who don't side the creed. And if you can't even get the simplest, the plainest teachings of Jesus, like don't kill, why would, should you trust your, you, why should we trust you on matters that are far more complex? <laughs> Our first leaders within the Anabaptist movement were intellectual students of the first reformers. As they studied the Bible, they said to the reformers, you're not going far enough. They debated with their professors, a bunch of 20-somethings who had the courage and vision and were debating with their professors saying, we need to take this further. They edified themselves publicly, wrote, preached, debated, and then they were all slaughtered. That was our first layer of Anabaptist leadership. The next layer of leadership that had some education was slaughtered. And the next. And finally, we were left with farmers and bakers who said, how do we just follow Jesus? Because that's all we can do. So the nearly so the early leadership of Anabaptists focused on following Jesus. Don't kill. We'll start with that, and then we'll branch out from there. If you're a Calvinist, you need to understand this about Anabaptists. Not only do we disagree with you, we disagree about the importance of the disagreement. So, I agree with all of that. Well, most of it. I'm still struggling with the peace stuff. <laughs> and I know Andy is, but I just, and I don't even know if that's really a fair description of Anabaptism. But just to the extent of, yeah, I'm over this whole systematic theology stuff. 
that's just overly infected the church and oh but you know we've got to we've got to do a 300 page book on what this one verse meant that because jesus didn't really mean what the plain text of what he said and i'm not even talking about don't kill you know the peace stuff just other things so colton giving me a look no i think we've already had the conversation about peace i think and even when we had the conversation about peace well I, just even in general what it, that sentiment of that quote was oh no the quote was good i think it was completely fine i think it was really pro anabaptist i the hard part about anabaptist is if you really get down to the like heart of it and if you follow everything from anabaptism it's just it's really hard yes um i it's really hard as an american to be an anabaptist in my opinion again kind of with that peace element also in the same way as also you're not supposed to like be conscious about fashion and a bunch of other stuff like yeah that. you're you're fairly minimalistic yeah um and like that's where you get the Mennonites and the yes and the um, Amish and the Amish. Amish. Yeah, there's this kind of idea where it's um, where uh, you and and here's the thing is it's always hard for me because like I look at scripture and I'm like yeah that's right but I want nice stuff <laughs> you know like that's always the hard part is like mm -hmm. um, it's always tough um, and so there yeah it's uh, it's it's a tough one i think as americans it's a it's a hard one for us to follow it's it's so embedded in our culture for that consumerism which we've talked about before um i, don't, I think peace is always hard i think that's hard for everyone across the country but i think especially for americans it's really hard to fight that consumeristic uh idea where and this is funny because i mean i just was talking to a guy from new york a couple of days ago and just kind of the difference in our lifestyles um he's working 40 hours a week he's a doorman he um uh and he lives with his mom and they pay twice the amount of what my mortgage is and they have the tiniest little apartment in queens yeah and uh and for me like i'm explaining to him about like what goes on for me i was like i make i i was like yeah and I make double what you make an hour and I own 1600 square feet and I, and I moved out of a house because I felt like it was too small for me and my <laughs> wife and my one dog. And, and that was down the, and it was a thousand square feet. It was like, that was what Eddie's like, I don't even know what a thousand square feet looks like, yeah. you know? Um, and so, uh, and so it's just kind of crazy where you just have these things where it's like, yeah, am I really leaning into what I need? Or, and that's more the emphasis of Anabaptism is really it's about doing with what – it's not necessarily – now, there are some Anabaptists that are pretty extreme. They'll be like, you need to become homeless. It's not really it. It's more about identifying what is it that you actually need. It's that minimalist um, idea as opposed to, you know, it's like um, – so a lot of Anabaptists, if you like look them up, um, especially westernized Anabaptists, they're like living out of their vans or whatever. Like that's what they like to do or they're, um, or they have minimalist furniture. So they triple as like different things. It's a couch, it's a dining room table. It's a, you know, an ironing board. Yeah. Uh, it's all of those things, um, uh, which is really cool. Um, but it's, it's very difficult for us as Americans to. I think that's why we're comfortable with Anabaptist. 
Tish. <laughs> it's difficult. It's tough. And always at the like I said, every time you like sit there and you're like, yeah, that is kind of what Jesus is calling me to do. Yeah. But I like my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And it gets more complicated and you have a final wife. Thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which is why Paul said, don't marry if <laughs> yeah. you can help it. <laughs> because then there's a whole other list of things that you can spend money on other than helping people. <laughs> you can decorate your living room. You can coordinate your bedroom. Right. You Although can... I don't think that's exactly what Paul was experiencing at that time. He wasn't like, I think we could get a painting. No, anymore. Paul just didn't like sex. <laughs> S E C T S or S E X? S E X. Uh, I don't think you like the former either. I, I saw both of your eyebrows raised earlier when I said S E C T S, and you guys were like, I don't even know what you're saying. Any final thoughts, Andy? Hmm. I, the whole time we've been doing this, I I can't help going back to just thinking how something simplistic we like to make complicated and all of these the, the the differences in one belief system versus another belief system even though they're both based on christ it's you know we wonder you know why christianity has been on the decline in the united states and it's like well we have made it our business to complicate everything and when you put all these impediments in front of somebody and say, "Don't you have to? You have to get dunked in water, and you have to not dance, and you have to not drink alcohol, and you come fun, have fun with us." Like, no, we're we're making. Well, we're the, screwed on the no yeah. alcohol part. <laughs> exactly. We're out. We're out. Nope. Hell for you us. You lost me at no booze. <laughs> anyway, uh, so it's like we. We get in the way of our own message. And I really wish we would stop doing that. Well, I think that's the core tenet of the podcast, so we thank you for listening. <laughs> no, it's just the Jesus centered the Jesus centered yeah. uh the idea and, and this getting away from this idea that there's one true faith and it's my job to protect it and uh, keep people from being polluted or diverted from the one true faith. Yeah, stop giving non-believers a a human behavior to point to as their justification for not being a Christian. Yeah, stop doing that. Stop being hypocritical. Uh. Because that's what a lot... You hear that all the time. Well, look at this guy and look at, you know, the, the people that have been big TV personalities and, and their eventual falls from grace and stuff like that. So you, they, they like to point to those kind of people. It's like, well, let's stop doing that. Let's just live what we're supposed to be living. Be that light unto others as we're supposed to be and let that be what draws people to us. Um, and then get all the obstacles out of their way break down those barriers just say this is how we choose to live we choose to focus on other people instead of ourselves and let's see what that does for me yeah 
All right, we thank you for listening to this, the 50th episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Thanks for listening. We uh, Please subscribe, rate, and review. Post your comments, questions, criticisms. Send an invitation to Hades at the Go to Hell podcast.substack.com. Hit us up at Twitter at the Go to Hell pod or Instagram at Go to Hell pod. Email me at Tim at Go to Hell podcast.com. Actually, that's Colton. <laughs> or. Colton at gotohellpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. We're not sending anybody to hell this week.